Matthew 12 and went right into chapter 13. Now, at that time, I assured you that we would cover verses 46 through 50 the Sunday after Christmas. Well, it's the Sunday after Christmas. Now, I'm not sure if this Sunday should be considered Christmas Sunday or Christmas Sunday was last week, but be that as it may, we're going to have a Christmas sermon this morning. And the verses I skipped over gave rise to the message I'm bringing. This morning, we're going to take a look at five portraits of the Holy Family, each taken in a different location. And we begin, of course, in Bethlehem. In Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 16, we read, And in the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. And the angel of the Lord said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. And it came about when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came in haste and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. Obviously, that is the portrait of the Holy Family with which we are most familiar. Mary, Joseph, and baby Jesus in Bethlehem. And it's a beautiful portrait. It adorns most of our homes in one form or another during Christmas time. It's a portrait that was begun in prophecy when Micah declared, But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah from you. One will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Ephrathah, or Ephrath, the place where Rachel died and was buried by Jacob, was also known as Bethlehem. And it was to Bethlehem that Samuel was sent to anoint Jesse, the son of Jesse, as king of Israel. And Bethlehem thereby became a royal city, the city of David, and the birthplace of the ruler, whose going forth were from long ago, from the days of eternity. Now, the name Bethlehem actually means house of bread. And it was to the house of bread that Joseph, being of the lineage of David, was forced to go for a census by Caesar Augustus. And while there, Mary would give birth to the one who would declare himself to be the bread of life. 
and lay him in a feeding trough. Again, Jesus in a manger with Mary and Joseph beside him in a stable in Bethlehem. That's our first portrait of the Holy Family. But it's not the only portrait we have of the Holy Family because the Holy Family didn't stay in Bethlehem. They were there less than two years. After the Magi came for a visit, following a star from the east, or as a book I'm reading concludes, a comet, before they came to the house where they were staying, then the family fled to Egypt. And it's there we find our next portrait of the Holy Family. Now when they, the Magi, had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. And he arose and took the child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that what was fulfilled by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, Out of Egypt did I call my son. We aren't told how long the Holy Family was in Egypt or what they did while there. But whenever a portrait is lacking in details, there is always someone who will attempt to fill in the background. There are legends in apocryphal writings that tell of palm trees bowing and beasts of the desert paying homage to the Christ child as they made their way into Egypt. It's even said that the Holy Family had an encounter with the two thieves that would later be crucified on either side of Jesus. The Coptic or Egyptian church has many traditions about Jesus' time in Egypt. And there are numerous shrines and churches that claim to be places where the family stayed. All we know for certain is that the family fled from Bethlehem because Herod wanted to destroy the child. And when the angel told Joseph to flee to Egypt, it made a lot of sense. Egypt was a logical place to find refuge because it was outside the dominion of Herod, but still under the Pax Romana of the Roman Empire. And it was easy to get to because Israel and Egypt were connected by a coastal road known as the Way of the Sea. So Joseph, as head of the household, took seriously the responsibility to protect his family from a wicked king and from the slaughter of innocents in an evil society. He headed for Egypt, and there created a refuge where they could be safe and secure and await God's plan for them as a family to unfold. That plan obviously included a temporary withdrawal from society, but they weren't to remain in isolation Forever. The prophet Hosea had already announced that God would call his son out of Egypt. Writing God's words, Hosea recorded, When Israel was a youth, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Now, obviously, 
God was talking about the children of Israel in the first part of that verse. But, probably unknown to Hosea, God had another son in mind when he finished the verse. And the Holy Spirit enabled Matthew to understand that God was there talking about Jesus. Several hundred years before sending Joseph into Egypt to flee from Herod, God had declared he would call his son out of Egypt. He had plans for the Holy Family in Nazareth. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own city of Nazareth. And the child continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Nazareth was the hometown of Mary and Joseph. And according to Matthew, it had been prophesied that Jesus would be known as a Nazarene. Now, as we noted when studying the second chapter of Matthew, nowhere in the Old Testament do we read of Nazareth or hear about anyone called a Nazarene. We read of the Nazarite vow, and that may have relevance here, indicating Jesus' single-minded commitment to the will of the Father. Or there may be a connection between Nazarene and the Hebrew word netzer, a word that means shoot or branch. There are numerous references to the fact that the Messiah would be a branch or a shoot. In Isaiah 11.1 we read, Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. Whatever Matthew had in mind, The important thing to note is that God had planned for the Holy Family to go to Nazareth. And that by growing up there, Jesus would be known as a Nazarene. And as Luke notes, while growing up there, Jesus became strong and the grace of God was upon him. But not only was the grace of God on Jesus, it was on the entire family. The family grew. And apparently prospered. During the 25 years or so they lived there, other sons and daughters were born to Mary and Joseph. And the family owned and operated the local carpenter shop. When Jesus' ministry began, however, things changed. The townspeople found it very difficult to believe that Jesus, who had grown up in their town, was the Messiah of promise. And when he returned from a preaching tour to teach them, they took offense at him. And coming to his hometown, he began teaching them in their synagogue. So they became astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and his sisters? Are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? Nazareth rejected her native son. But by this time, Jesus and most of the family had already moved to Capernaum. Now, when he heard that John had been taken into custody, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and settled in Capernaum 
which is by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. Jesus wasn't the only one who moved to Capernaum. For in John 2.12 we read, After this he went down to Capernaum, he and his mother and his brothers and his disciples. They moved there, but it doesn't appear that they had a house of their own. In Mark 2, it does state that when Jesus had come back to Capernaum, it was heard that he was at home, but it's most likely that he was living with Peter in his home. Whatever the case, Capernaum became known as Jesus' home. And it served for a couple of years as the headquarters for his ministry. Things, however, weren't going well for the family. In fact, the family was falling apart. Joseph had apparently died in Nazareth. And since his sisters weren't mentioned among those moving to Capernaum, we have to assume they remained in Nazareth, possibly having married and established homes of their own. His brothers were there, but according to John 7, 5, they didn't believe in Jesus. In fact, they and possibly his mother actually thought he was crazy. In Mark 3, 20 and 21, we read, And he came home, and the multitude gathered again to such an extent that they could not even eat a meal. And when his own people heard of this, they went out to take custody of him. For they were saying, He has lost his senses. It would take the resurrection to convince his own people, at least his brothers, that their older brother was indeed the Son of God. I doubt that a portrait of the Holy Family in Capernaum became a family keepsake. The last portrait originates in the text we skipped several weeks ago. For it's a text that relocates the Holy Family from Capernaum to Chatham. While he was still speaking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and brothers were standing outside seeking to speak to him. And someone said to him, Behold, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak to you. But he answered the one who was telling him and said, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. Those who do the will of the Father in heaven are the brothers and sisters and even the mothers of Christ. They are the Holy Family. That means we who are now in Christ, are the Holy Family. But, like the Holy Family of 2,000 years ago, it doesn't mean that we will live an idyllic life or be perfect. Holy means set apart. It doesn't mean perfect. And like the original Holy Family, 
The holy family of today will no doubt face adversity. At times, it may even have to withdraw from an evil world and seek a temporary place of refuge. But being set apart for God doesn't mean cut off from the world. We are to be in the world, but not of it. There may be times when we have to escape to a land of Egypt. But God also calls us out of Egypt. He has, in fact, sent us into all the world to make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that he has commanded us. We can't remain isolated, hidden in an evil society and do what we've been commissioned to do. We've got to go out into the world and preach the gospel, the good news of a Savior who has come to earth. Not everyone will want to hear our message. Sin hardens hearts. It can even harden hearts within the family of God because the family of God isn't a perfect family. There will be misunderstandings and differences of opinion and hurt feelings, even within the family of God. But there is also forgiveness. And there is a love that transcends our sinfulness and heals our brokenness. A love that was expressed on a cross And then offered to all through a resurrected Savior. And if we'll allow ourselves to be drawn back to the living Christ, he will draw us back to himself and back to each other. The Holy Family isn't a collection of ceramic figurines under a Christmas tree. It's a collection of living breathing, sinful but forgiven brothers and sisters who can be found worshiping together under the cross of a resurrected Christ. We are the Holy Family because we have become a part of the family of God. And I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God.